the earth. And daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth, and God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through men, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we're getting ready to study, to look at. Lord, I pray that... Um, Lord, as we do some teaching this morning, Lord, I pray that it will also be practical. Lord, we want to be students of your word. We want to make right divisions of your word. But Lord, we also ask, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that your word will divide us. Lord, that it will be the discernment of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And Lord, that we'll be changed because of your truth. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, so, there was a youth lock in here Friday night into Saturday, and everywhere I go, I'm finding these little things. I found a little yellow ball down here earlier. So if you find one, just throw it at one of our youth leaders. Just do that, all right? There's one back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Almost hit her. Anyways, so they they had a blast having a little nerf, nerf fight and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so I heard that went really well. But man, I'm finding those every year. They have the lock-in, and I always find those things for like two months afterwards in like the most random spots, right? Just random places. I found one in my office, so that means somebody was in my office this week. So that's a good hiding spot, I think. All right. So Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6 um, is a very interesting passage. Now, I made this point last week, and I want to make it again. I think it's important. Remember how we studied chapter four and looked at the names and the lineage of Cain? And then last week, we spent a lot of time, wasn't that fun last week, just looking at the different names and their meanings and how it lays out human history and the Bible and all those things. We looked at the line of Seth in chapter five. And one of the points we made is that they run concurrently. Don't think chapter four and then chapter five and then chapter six, because chapters four, five, and six are all happening at the same time. We just get insights into different blips of the story. Does that make sense? And we, we can lay that out in more detail, but we don't need to, I don't think. But we're trying to do this volume of the book, and I'm, I'm struggling because I'm tempted to just preach Genesis, and that's not what the scope is. The scope is, is for us to do an entire overview of the Word of God, 
And yet here in these first 11 to 12 chapters are super important that we have to deal with some things. And uh, I was trying to shirk some of it this week and Mason's like, I don't know that that's wise. I think we need to address some of that stuff. And I'm like, but I don't want to. And uh, so anyway, we, we had some conversations about it, but I, I do believe that God has a message for us and that we're gonna approach it a little bit differently than we have other messages. So if you are, if you do have study sheets, you notice there's a historical, doctrinal, and practical. That's how we have this broken down. Anytime you're in the word of God for yourself, you ought to do the same thing. I don't care where you're reading, approach it historically. What is the, what's being written in the Bible? What is being said here? Okay, prophetic or doctrinal, what has God teaching? How does this have to do with things in the future? And then practical, in that order, by the way. Can I just encourage you to do that in that order? Get to the practical after you've established the historical and the doctrinal, because that'll help you establish the practical. Um, and so that's how we're going to approach this. And so we're going to do some Bible studies. Is that all right? Is that all right, everybody? We're going to do a little Bible study. It's glad to see you all. We're going to have a good time. And so the title of this sermon, this message is Bearing Fruit in a Burning Field. That's going to make sense toward the end. Bearing fruit in a burning field, because what's happening is the world is melting down around Noah. It's falling absolutely apart, and yet you find him bearing fruit in the midst of it. And we can make some great application for ourselves that the world around us is falling apart, amen? And uh, we need to be able to bear fruit in the midst of a burning field. According to Matthew, according to Mark, the field is the world, and the world is falling apart. And so with the, I was trying to be cute with the sermon title, so there you go. Bearing fruit in a, in a burning field. Now let's give you the historical application before we get really deep into this. The historical application is that God brought judgment upon a corrupt world in the days of Noah. That's what's happening. When you read these first 13 verses of chapter six, God is bringing judgment. He's preparing to bring judgment upon a corrupt world in the days of Noah. So chapter six kind of leads us up in the story for next week when we look at the ark and the flood and get into all those things. But verses one to 13 are super important to set the stage. And he's bringing judgment upon a corrupt world in the days of Noah, because it says this in, in uh, um, look over here in verse 11 for a moment. Verse 11, chapter six, verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, and God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. All right, so what's happening here? Verse one, verse one says that men are multiplying on the earth. It says, um, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. So the numbers of men are multiplied. In fact, if you take much stock into scholars or what have you, I don't know what to constitute a scholar anymore, but if you take much stock into what they say, they estimate that um, there's roughly seven to eight billion people on the planet in Genesis chapter six. Does that sound familiar? Because that's roughly how many we have on our planet today. There's about seven to eight billion people. That's a lot of people. And that's, that's a conservative, by the way, a conservative guesstimate on how many people are on the earth. So men are multiplying. It says that daughters were born to them. And when God gives you detail, pay attention to detail. So man is multiplying. And then, then you can skip over to verse five for a moment. We'll come back to the rest of it, but skip over to verse five. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So man, as man multiplies, wickedness multiplies. Isn't that amazing? As man multiplies, wickedness multiplies. And so it's multiplying across the earth. And it says this, 
that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's not God being hyperbolic. That's God telling you how it is. It's only evil continually. So man's hearts are now consumed with only evil thoughts. Interesting society that they're living in. Verse, verse six, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. So man's heart is only evil continually, but God's heart is grieved. And I, I know what you're probably thinking. Yeah, man, we live in a messed up world too. Yeah, we do. And you think it's messed up now. Just wait, baby. It's gonna get really bad. Isn't it amazing how fast things snowball, how fast things fall apart in societies? Um, man, we are, we're on a collision course with that, and that's what we're dealing with here. Now, we just read verse 11, but I want you to see this again. The earth also was corrupt before God. So not just the people, but the earth. The earth is corrupt. Well, I remember what you said over here in chapter three, that God cursed the earth, right? He cursed it. So it is cursed, and the earth is, is definitely cursed, but it says that it's corrupt. The earth is corrupt. But then it says this, the earth is filled with violence, verse 11. And then verse 12 says, God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Look at this, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon man, upon the earth. So this isn't just, this isn't just a corrupt earth. This isn't just a fallen world. These are not just fallen people. This is even the animals. This is even, even the animal kingdom is corrupt before God. I think there's, there's reasons for that that we're not gonna address today. Maybe we'll cover that on a Wednesday night. But I, I think there's reasons uh, for that. But if you look at, look at verse 13. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, I think there's a couple ways to, to read that. But God is going to destroy them. Men's actions are now consumed with with violence, and God says he's going to destroy them. I'm going to come back to that here in just a few moments. Now, we skipped a few verses. Did you notice that? Went verse one to verse five. Verse one, there's a whole lot of people. Daughters are born unto them. Verse five, wickedness is now all over the planet. But he gives you some detail in verses two to four that are super important for us to get. Because not only are the numbers of men multiplying on the earth, you have the sons of God trying to multiply on the earth. Now I'm going to unpack some stuff, put your seatbelt on. Let's go for a ride. This is going to be crazy. Ready? Verse two. So verse one, the daughters are born unto them. Verse two, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all which they, they chose. So get it in your head. Men are multiplying. It says the daughters are born unto them. And then there's these sons of God. What's up with these sons of God? There's these sons of God that are looking at the daughters of men going, all right, I recognize your existence on the planet. Yeah, I see you. But then it says, not only did they recognize that they saw that they were fair, it says that they went and took them wise of all which they chose. That, that doesn't imply that the ladies had much say in this. Y'all with me on that? This is... I'm gonna go take a wife of which I choose and you're gonna be mine. I, I can just picture him coming over to the club boom, and just dragging him home, right? You're coming with me, right? You, you are mine. 
But these sons of God show up and they, they look at the daughters of men. They say, hey, you're beautiful. You're fair. I'm going to take you. You're mine. And the ladies really don't have a say in this. And then in the middle of it, verse three, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. So what's he saying? He's, listen, when Adam and Eve fell, they were perfect. They were, they were perfect just before they fell, right? So their body, soul, spirit, they're, they're right with God. They're in the image of God. But when they fell, now the issue is that, that they're, they have a spirit and they have a soul and they have a flesh, but their soul is alive, but their spirit is dead and they're, they're, they're consumed with their flesh. And God says, okay, I'm not gonna always strive with men here because he's also flesh. In other words, he's temporary. He's not going to live forever in this state. And I'm gonna to limit them to 120 years at a time when people are living in the 900s, right? So he considerately lowers down the lifespan of men in the midst of the story. Then verse four again, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So you got man multiplying, verse one, verses two to four. Now you have the sons of God attempting to multiply across the earth. So stop, I know what you're asking. You should be asking this question. Who or what are these sons of God? Who or what are these sons of God? Because what's up with the sons of God stuff? Because this seems a little sci-fi to me. Does this seem sci-fi to you? This seems a little weird to me. All right, let me just throw this on the table. They are not the godly line of Seth. They're not. I don't believe they're the godly line of Seth. Well, why do you say that? Because there is no godly line. There is no godly line. There's none. No one's serving the Lord. No one's walking with God. There's Noah. That's it. But I, I thought he was, I, I thought we talked about this last week. I thought we talked about Seth and the promise seed is going to come through his lineage. You're right, he is. But you study the lineage of Jesus. There's some wicked people on that list. You got Rahab the harlot is, is on that list. You got Ruth the Moabitess, she's on that list. You got some wicked people in there. So it's not the godly line of Seth here. There is no godly line. This is the chosen seed line for sure. But I don't believe this is the godly line of Seth. I got a couple reasons for that. I think I just gave you one. But let me show you an interesting verse. Go to chapter three with me for a moment. I told you we're gonna do some Bible study. This is the Bible study portion. Genesis chapter three, Satan in the form of a serpent shows up and he begins to deceive Adam and Eve, begins to talk to Eve. But I don't know if we spent a whole lot of time here on verse five because this is important. Notice what it says in verse four. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Now check this out. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as, what's the next word? What's the next word? God's knowing good and evil. And the woman saw the tree that it was good for food. She doesn't ask, who are the gods? She doesn't say, what's what's the gods? What, what, what's that? It's plural. It's little g. I believe these sons of God are walking around. They are present. They are there. Y'all with me? That she knows who he's talking about. 
She knows when she walks into the garden, you got Adam, the son of God. Then you have these angelic beings, these sons of God. And then Eve shows up on the scene and she recognizes immediately there's a difference between me and them. She doesn't question who these gods are. I think that's an interesting verse. But we're asking the question, who or what are these sons of God? Let me remind you of Job 1. I have, a, have this verse on the screen. Job 1, verse 6. Job 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, the who? The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. So there's this weird little dichotomy here at the beginning of Job where these sons of God are showing up and Satan comes among them. Remember, we dealt with the fall of Satan in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. He was anointed cherub. He was one of these sons of God who fell, but now he's presenting himself to God. Look at the next verse in, in Job chapter 38, verses six and seven. Look what God says when he's talking to, to Job. He says, Where, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? He's talking about creation of the earth. It says, when the morning stars, as the angels sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, if we just cross-reference that phrase, sons of God, it can't be the lineage of Seth because the lineage of Seth wasn't there when it was first created. Man wasn't even created yet. So when, at the beginning, when he creates heaven and earth, the sons of God are shouting for joy. These are the sons of God who are showing up in Genesis chapter six. Tony, are you saying that angelic beings saw the daughters of men and they, they took wives? Yeah, that, that's what exactly what I'm saying. That's weird. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That is weird. That's really strange. But if you notice in verse two, they chose daughters of men and they took them. In verse four, check this out, verse four. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that qualifier, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. That's your Bible being not too crass, right? They come in to the daughters of men and it says, and bear children to them. He's letting you know these giants are the fruit of that connection with these sons of God and these daughters of men. They produce a race of giants by, get this, mingling their seed with mankind. Have I lost you? Y'all with me? Have you ever heard this before? This is important. We got to get this. And I know what some of you may be saying. Well, yeah, but what about Matthew 22, verse 30? Not on the screen, not on your sheet. Just write that one down. What about Matthew chapter 22, verse 30? Because doesn't that say that the angels don't marry and they're not given in marriage? Oh, that, that's what it says. But now you're making this a marriage issue when this is a child issue. In Matthew 22, the issue's marriage. They're not given in marriage, by the way. These guys in Genesis chapter six didn't, weren't given in marriage. They were taking marriages. Big difference. Big difference. They're not given in marriage. They're not taken in marriage, but this should be as the angels. Okay, but let me take you back to chapter three again. Go back to Genesis chapter three. There's this interesting verse in verse 15. Because in Genesis chapter three and verse 15, it's that prophecy of Jesus, right? It's that promised seed, born of a virgin, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and, 
and her seed. Wait a second. Who's he talking to in verse 15? Who's God talking to in verse 15? He's talking to Satan, isn't he? He's talking to a fallen son of God, isn't he? But did you, did you catch something? Verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman between, what's the next two words? Thy seed. I just told you that Satan, Lucifer, has seed. And, and her seed. Well, we know women don't have seed, but men do. And so this is a prophecy of a virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So if you say, well, what about Matthew 22? I would just say, well, that's about marriage. I would say, what about Genesis chapter three, verse 15? Because that's about the seed line. That what does Satan learn in the garden in chapter three, verse 15? There's a promised seed line. And what does he do for the rest of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? He tries to, to corrupt. He tries to destroy the seed line. He tries to usurp it. He tries to take it for himself. And so he, he tries to make his own version. All right. And so what happens here in chapter six, notice this in verse 12, that all flesh are now corrupt. What they did is they're trying to lead mankind to corrupt their own seed. They're trying to corrupt the seed line. That's what's happening. Have I, have I lost some of you, y'all? Is this interesting to anybody else? This intrigues me. This intrigues me. Okay, so these son, you're saying these sons of God came down to these daughters of men. They took wives. They mingled their seed with, with man's seed. And now you get this race of giants. Yeah, that's where the giants came from. But also it says also after that, hold on to that. We'll come back to that here in just a few moments. Because that's an important phrase. Now, listen, I know we have some too tall people up in here. Right? We have people over six foot, six foot four, hang out with the Sudbury clan. They're all tall, right? But when you take a man and a woman throughout history, and they get married and they have children, they don't produce giants. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work like that, right? It, it just doesn't. But when you take a son of God, and you mix it with man, it produces these, these giants. So maybe you're asking, okay, well then, where are these sons of God now? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the Bible actually answers that question. Because 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20 says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. This is Jesus dying. At his, when he died, he went to speak to the spirits in prison. Pay attention to that, <clears throat> verse 20 which sometime were disobedient. Check, when? When were they disobedient? When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah? What's the context? These spirits were disobedient in a day and age when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein in few that his eight souls were saved. Yes, so by water. All right, so check, check out 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God spared not the angels... Well, what are they? They're sons of God. No, they're angels. No, they're spirits. They're not the lineage of Seth. You can't make that happen in the Bible. For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Where are these sons of God from Genesis chapter six? They're in hell in chains of darkness, verse five, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, 
bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now we'll come back to that verse here in just a few moments. I just want to lay this out. Where are they now? Well, they're in hell. They're bound up in chains and God's going to judge them at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. They're reserved under the judgment. Now, I think that's easy to just get by reading the text. Here's how we struggle sometimes. We have, this is a thing we talk about when we're talking about learning to study your Bible. The Bible's not necessarily hard to understand. Sometimes it's just difficult to believe. I'm just, we just did some Bible study. You're going to have to deal with something. Do you believe that this is true? Because, all right, so let, let's just move on from the Josh just for a moment. Because look at chapter, go to chapter 6, verse 7. Actually, chapter 6, verse 6. It says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created upon, uh, from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. All right. So let's, let's just put things in perspective here for a moment. Go to chapter 4. Look at the end of chapter 4, verse 26. Chapter 4, verse 26, you have this guy named Seth, and he has a son named Enos, and it says at the end of the verse, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That means they had stopped calling on the name of the Lord. Then you have this guy named Enoch. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Remember what Methuselah's name means? Them who send forth life for a sword. God has spoken to Enoch and said, hey, I'm going to destroy everything. Well, isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly what happens in chapter 6, verse 7. I think chapter 6, verse 7 is referencing to what God is saying to, to Enoch. That message now gets passed on because Enoch says, okay, I'm going to name my son Methuselah. We read that in Jude, that he knows the Lord's coming with 10,000 of his saints. So he names Methuselah. Methuselah names his son Lamech. And Lamech names his son Noah, saying, I need peace, I need rest in a man. And that is Noah. And so you get to chapter 6 and verse, verse 7. He says, I'm going to um, destroy it. Verse 13, I'm going to destroy them with the earth. In other words, I'm going to destroy the earth and them with it. Or I'm going to destroy them with the earth. I don't know how you read it. You can read it either way. Either way, they're both going to go away, right? And God's going to use the, what they're falling in love with to destroy them. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. All right, go back to verse eight though. Chapter six, verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Interesting. Noah found grace. In other words, he was looking for it and he found it. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine living in a society like this where men just not long ago began calling on the name of the Lord? Enoch's about the first person that mentions walking with God. His great-grandson Noah shows up on the scene. Great-grandson, grandson shows up on the scene and he's walking with God. You see that in verse nine. He's walking with God, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, Methuselah, that names what his name means. He's passed that lineage on down. He's explained it, what's going on. And then it says this, God saves Noah, doesn't he? We read it in 2 Peter, we read it in 1 Peter. God saves Noah, but he saves Noah for two reasons. Let me give you two reasons why. See this in verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. 
Noah's a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So Noah's walking with God while you have sons of God mingling their seed with the daughters of men. You got giants running around. Earth is filled with violence. It's absolute mayhem. And he's walking with God in the midst of it all. So he, he saves him for that reason. Look over here in chapter seven, verse one. Chapter seven, verse one, it says, and the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. How does somebody get saved? God has to see you as righteous. Isn't that interesting? For you and I, what saves you? What guarantee? We were just talking about this in our class of discipleship class this morning. How does somebody get saved? When God looks on you and sees himself, the righteousness of God, that's what saves. And so Noah gets saved because he's walking with God and God views him as righteous. Go back over here to chapter nine or chapter six, verse nine. Pay attention to this. This is interesting. You get this word generations shows up twice in this verse. Genesis chapter six, verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. That word generations literally means descent, his family, his birth history. These are the generations of Noah. But then it says this, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. That's a different word. It's the same word in English, but it's a different word because this generations talks about the ability to produce seed over generations. That's what that means. There's a big difference. So why does God save Noah? We just told you. He's righteous, he's just, he's walking with God. That's reason number one. Reason number two is his seed line hasn't been corrupted. That's why. Remember, all flesh has been corrupted. Everything has been messed up. For hundreds of years, the giants are doing their thing and sons of God are doing their thing. All flesh is corrupted. And yet here, God says, he's just, He's walking with me, but he's also perfect in his generations, his ability to produce seed line down the generations. That is what he's talking about. So God saves Noah and his family from destruction with an ark. We're going to get into that next time. But something else I want you to see here is that God uses Noah now to proclaim his judgment upon the earth. That's fulfillment of the prophecy that Enoch had. The Lord come with 10,000s of his saints. So Noah literally is the fulfillment of Methuselah's name because Noah goes forth proclaiming life for a sword. Well, how, how do you say that? It says he built an ark. Well, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, check this out. Hebrews 11, verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world became heir of the righteousness, which is of by faith. I want to come back to that verse at the end. Second Peter chapter two, verse five. Let me remind you, we looked at this earlier. Second Peter chapter two, verse five. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. So not only is he making an ark, not only is he building an ark, not only is he preparing an ark, he's proclaiming righteousness. He's proclaiming truth. He's offering life or a sword. Nobody accepted it. Therefore, they are condemned. Hebrews chapter 11. All right, so that's historically what's going on. That's a, lot to, that's a lot to grasp. I get it. So let's move to doctrinally just for a moment. Let's move to the doctrinal application because why is God giving us all this detail? Where's your next point? 
God will bring judgment upon a corrupt world in the days of the Son of Man. God is going to bring judgment. Not just in the days of Noah, but he's also going to do it in the days of the Son of Man. Listen, we live in a world that's going to be destroyed in all its glory, all its glory when Jesus returns in all his glory. Amen. When the Lord returns in all his glory, this world's going to be destroyed in all its glory. Promise you. It's all going to burn. Now, let me remind you of a passage of scripture that Jesus says, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, or Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. You want an idea when they're asking questions? Hey, well, how's it all going to plan out? He goes, go back. Check out as it was in the days of Noah. Later on, it says in the days of Lot. That's a whole other messed up situation. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27, they did eat, they drank. They married wives. It doesn't say they were given in marriage. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and what? Destroyed them all. Interesting. As it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be when Jesus returns. Now, a good Bible student would say, wait a second. Are you telling me that that whole Genesis chapter 6 story that we just read is going to happen again? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. We live in a day and age where people are multiplying like crazy. As of yesterday that I looked it up, just shy of 8 billion people on the planet. Multiplying like crazy. The wickedness of man is multiplying across the earth, isn't it? Isn't it? it it's, it's crazy. Men's hearts are consumed with continuously evil thoughts. Just when you thought you had seen it all, you ain't seen it all, baby. There's some messed up stuff. You watch the news. Have you paid attention to this? Think about yourself in 1985 watching today's news. Some of you are like, I wasn't alive in 1985. Bear with me. Some of you were. In 1985, can you imagine sitting on your couch? Right? That's what my job in 1985 was to go hold the rabbit ears and the antenna. Don't move! Right? That was my job. Hold it there. My, my mom was chink, chink, chink. Can you imagine watching today's news then? You, inconceivable the things that are happening today. But we're so desensitized to the wickedness and the evil that we're just not surprised when it gets worse. That's where we live. That's exactly where Noah lived. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and give evil. Hello, somebody. We live there today. Standing up for the word of God, standing up for what's right. You are deemed as evil in this world. We live in a world where man's environment is now corrupt and getting even more corrupt. Men's actions are filled with, with violence. Check this out. This is how it's going to play out in the, in the tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Why is it so violent? People aren't loving. Why? Because you can't love without God because God is love. 
He had not no love without the Lord. We take God off the table. Now I just ain't able to do my own thing. If there is no God, then there is no right and wrong. I'm the determiner of it. And if I want to execute violence, then I'll just go execute violence. I'll just go do my own thing. And who are you to tell me no? That's where we live today. All right. The giants that we talked about in Genesis chapter six, oh, they're coming back again. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superhuman beings, like all those Marvel movies, your Avenger movies, all that stuff, it's coming. Second Thessalonians chapter two tells us that he's coming. The Antichrist, the man of sin is coming with all power and signs and lying wonders, he's coming. This world is expecting and waiting for a superhuman, a superman to come and save the day. In Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter two, verses 42 and 43, it's that story where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he dreams and he has a statue. If you get time, please write this reference down. Go check it out for yourself. Because as you study this out, you see that in Daniel chapter two, it lays out the history of all the nations or empires that are going to rule the world. Starts with Babylon, goes into Medes and Persians, goes into Greece and goes into Rome. And the Rome has a right leg and Rome has a left leg. There's different ways to, to look at that. I would tell you that the Roman empire never went away. It just changed. It just changed. We still live in Rome today. All right, so Daniel chapter two, verse 42 and 43. As, and as the toes of the feet, so this is the end of the days as the empire is winding down. And as the toes of the feet were part iron. All right, so let me just make a note for this. Iron is constantly and consistently associated with the giants in your Bible. We're part iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron, pay attention, mixed with miry clay, can we just read the Bible for what it says? They, that's the iron, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Letting you know, iron is mixing with the seed, with the seed of men. These are angelic beings Mixing with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one another even as iron is not mixed with clay. That day is coming. Again, they shall mix themselves with the seed of men. Let me take you to interesting verse. Interesting verse. Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Paul is, shows up in the town and he says, I'm going to throw this thing away. And uh, he is he's preaching. And check this out. And when the people saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lacaona. In other words, a miracle happens. And the conclusion they come to is that the gods are come down to us in the likeness of, in the likeness of men. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what Corinthians says, that Satan's able to turn himself into an angel of light, even so his ministers are angels of light. So the gods are come down to us in likeness of men, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, a god that impregnated humans, by the way, and Mercurius, the fruit of one of those uh, marriages, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, they still had the priest of Jupiter. The priest of Jupiter shows up, 
which was before their city and brought oxen and that Christmas word, that garland under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. In other words, what are they doing? They are waiting, expecting the gods to return. And when the gods return with power, signs and lying wonders, they expect to worship. And so when the pole shows up and there's a miracle done, they associate that with Jupiter and Mercury. I'm telling you that is happening today. That's happening today. All right. So let's move on from that. Let's come back to this just for a moment. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Remember those days of the son of man, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. I'm going to destroy them with the earth. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Judgment is coming on this entire planet because it's going to be entirely corrupt. That day's coming. That happens at the end of the tribulation period. Yeah, but I thought you said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You're right. I'm so glad verse 10 exists, but I'm really glad verse nine exists. Check out verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some man cast slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all, how many? All should come to repentance. God does not desire to destroy it all. He's willing to destroy it all, but he's offering the opportunity to be saved. That's why you have the opportunity to be saved today. That's why we have this moment in blip in history right now. Because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he gives us this moment right now. My job, your job is to be Methuselah, to send forth life with the sword. Your opportunity to be saved. I bet there's somebody in this room or somebody's in this room who you're not saved. You know you're not saved. You do not have much time. You need to meet Christ as your Savior. The Lord is not slack. He's concerning his promise. He's long suffering, waiting for you to get saved. He desperately wants us to be saved. All right, so what happens is God sends forth men to proclaim life and judgment first, doesn't he? And he does that with Noah. Noah goes and he, as he's building this ark, I don't remember how many years, what is it, 100 years or something like that, he's, he's preparing this ark. He's a preacher of righteousness. He condemns the world in the midst of it all. Well, Noah is a picture of the 144,000 that you read about in Revelation chapter 14. He's a beautiful picture of this because in Revelation 14, verses four and five, it says, these are they which are not defiled with women for they are virgins. In other words, they're seed line, they're not corrupt. They're able to pass forward, right? He says, these are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. In other words, they're walking with God. Sound familiar like Noah? These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God, to the Lamb. Sound a lot like Noah? And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Sound a lot like Noah? Noah's a beautiful picture of the 144,000. Let me take you to verses six and seven. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel uh, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. This is the 144,000 going to every place on the planet proclaiming the gospel. What gospel? Not the gospel you and I believe. It's a different gospel then. That gospel, Matthew chapter 24, is to endure to the end. Whoa, go back. Verse seven, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give, him glory, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is, is come. That's 144,000 during the tribulation. Now, 
You saw the practical. Let's go there. Let's go practical. Let's make this super practical then. Because God brings salvation to a corrupt world in my days. So God is going, he brought it in Noah's day. He's going to do it in the days of son of man. But what's he doing in the meantime? He's offering salvation, baby. He's offering the opportunity to get right before him before the judgment. So will you be a Noah? Will you bear fruit in the midst of a burning field? Are you able to do that? Will you do that? Will you search for what God might offer this world just like Noah did? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Will you walk with God in the midst of a corrupt world in a world that's gone completely against the Lord just like Noah did in Genesis chapter six and verse nine? Will you continue living your life? Now get this, you're in Genesis chapter six? You're in Genesis chapter six, verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah is a just man, a perfect with God. And check this out. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of believers say, man, we just live in a messed up world. I don't know if I want to have kids. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if I want to bring him into this thing. Well, here's my question to you. Will you be like Noah? Will you continue living your life? while reaching the part of the world that you're in. You can't reach the world. That's not possible. You can't reach the world, but you can reach the field where he planted you. You can do that. And will you continue living your life in the midst of all the mess as everything else is on fire around you? The fire is kindled, right? It is getting ready to burn. Will you still live your life doing your thing, serving the Lord, walking with him in integrity? Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God. Check this out. We're going to break this verse down quickly. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. You know what that tells me? Noah was in a position to hear from the Lord. Will you stay in a position to hear from God's word and will you respond in faith? By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Those things that we just looked at, those things that just make, well, that's kind of sci-fi, that's kind of weird, that's kind of strange. Is that really how it is? The Bible's not hard to understand. It's difficult to believe sometimes. Do you believe it? Are you going to be in a position to hear from the Lord just like Noah was? Everybody, if you have, do you have a Bible? Hold it up. Hold your, hold your Bible. Hold your Bible. Do you understand how blessed we are to have this in this room right now? Do you understand that these are the words of life? And no one's keeping you out of this book but you. No one. Are you in this midst of this world going to spend time with the Lord in his word, hanging on his every word? And are you going to be willing to respond by faith just like Noah? Notice this. He was moved with fear. It says that in the verse. Read that it? Moved with fear. What does that mean? It's the life of worship. He feared God, but not just feared God. He was moved with fear. His feet walked in fear. He, he lived his life in fear because he wasn't afraid of the world he lived in. He wasn't complaining about the world he was living in. He thrived in it because he worshiped the Lord. Will you live a life of worship? Then it says this, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That's obedience. That's obedience. He heard what God said. He worshiped the Lord and therefore it caused him to be obedient. Now he lived a weird life. 
right? So God comes to him and says, hey, I'm going to destroy them with the earth. And I want you to build a really, really, really big boat. And it's going to rain. Uh, Question, what's rain? Don't worry about it. It's never rained yet. For 2,000 years and rain hasn't happened yet. And Noah's walking around. Hey, Noah, what you doing? I'm building a boat. Why? Because it's going to rain. What's rain? I guess water's going to come from the sky. And not just that, it's going to come up from the ground. And God's going to destroy us all. All right, man. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? How's that any more different than come up and say, you need, to, you, need to, you need to believe on somebody who died for you 2,000 years ago, shed his blood for you, laid down his life for you, was buried and rose again three days ago, three, three days and then he's offering you salvation. Do you believe that? It's kind of weird, man. And yet, that's what God's called us to do. Live a weird life that's obedient to the Lord. By the way, He did that for a really long time. A really long time. I just don't know what God wants me to do. How about this? Start here. Put yourself in a position to hear his word, respond in faith, worship him, be obedient to what it says, and do it for a really long time. Just do that. But you don't understand the world's falling down around me. It ain't got giants walking around in it. It ain't got that. At least not yet. Then it says this, by the which he condemned the world. Actually, back up. It says, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You see that? To the saving of his house. Will your family take your relationship with God seriously? I'm not saying, is your family following Jesus? I I would love that. But the reality is when you juxtapose Noah and Lot, when Lot is saying, when Lot is saying, uh, I want to stay here and hang out, and it's time to it's time to go, and fire's getting ready to fall from the sky, it says that his family thought he was a joke. When Noah says water's getting ready to come, his family believed him. There's a difference, isn't there? Will your family take your walk with God seriously? And this says, by the which he condemned the world. Will the world be able to say anything about your lack of testimony? At that great white throne judgment, could they say, could they, could they point at Levi and say, yeah, but Levi never told me. He never said anything. He never gave me. I'm picking on Levi because he spends time in his word. And <laughs> I know this is opposite. So, so, could, could they point to Levi and say, yeah, but, but I never saw evidence of a walk with God in him. He never said anything about the judgments of God. No. It says here that he condemned the world. There was no doubt about the truth and the, what he was laying down. And then it says this at the end. I became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. That's a reward, isn't it? And the reward isn't glory, it's not crowns right now. We can talk about that another time. The reward here is to be righteous before the Lord. Notice, by faith, that's how the verse starts. How's the verse end? By faith.
Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. I can't manufacture your faith for you. Can't do it. All I can do is proclaim this truth. Do you believe it? Will you obey it because you worship the Lord in the midst of a lost and dying world that is absolutely on fire right now? Will you bear fruit in the midst of it? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you. Lord, for your word, I thank you for your truth. Lord, there was a lot of study, a lot of verses, a lot to unpack, a lot to, a lot to prove out. Father, Lord, I pray that we would be like a Noah to be able to be willing to bear fruit in a world that is absolutely on fire and burning and going to be destroyed. Lord, I pray that we would walk with you according to faith. Lord, we would walk with you according to righteousness. Lord, that we would live our lives in the midst of this world as a light that shines bright in this dark world. Father, Lord, I pray for anybody in here who does not know you as Savior. Lord, I pray that you would not give them rest. And Lord, until they come to know you as Savior. Lord, I pray for the believers in here. We've grown tired. We've grown weary. We've lost sight of, Lord, what you've called us to do. Called us to be. Lord, we've got our eyes on, on this world instead of our eyes on you. Lord, we pray that we would just walk with you in the midst of it all. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.